Georgia Dow is a therapist, but she's not your therapist. This show should not substitute a personal consultation with a professional. Viagra. That's an office. That's uh, the office joke. <laughs> what, what kind of evidence are you eating, Micah? I plead the fifth. Uh, I, I never actually, I still don't know if I get that joke, but what I think is going on is that he's referencing the fact that the uh, green Eminem character is supposed to be that sultry gal. If you're and turned so, on by the green Eminem girl, I just, I, I... I think your parents should get you a subscription to Playboy and then just let you... It ends up as a snuff film. That's the only thing that I know. It ends up as a snuff film. Whoa. <laughs> what? What happened? Like, what? I hope everyone's recording. Oh, my God. Tell me everyone's recording. I, I am, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, way to go, Georgia. You made it yeah. weird. You made it weird. Documented. <laughs> documented it, it play playing the role of simone de rochefort is is our own georgia dow right <laughs> make it weird it's oh, georgia you God. know what i've always appreciated about you very punctual right <laughs> right right i'm sorry i'm sorry it's only almost an hour late it's very punctual i'm i'm just um what's 24 tons of i'm just really early for next week's show Ah. I mean, the problem is that you gave Micah all this time to like Google green M&Ms now. And now it's just. It's... Yeah. Why am I the creepy one? He's the one that green M&Ms are, are, are happy time. <laughs> Micah, when a yellow, green, when a yellow M&M and a blue M&M love each other very much, they, they I, uh, I don't. Oh my goodness. Only, there are, are, are pictures. We talk about like, like peanut injection. On the show, are we able to talk about that, or is oh that too God. blue I, for our audience? Not injection. I don't want that. I, I'm I'm really afraid of what the crispy M and M's are. Then, oh golly! Look, uh, <laughs> wait, on, wait, wait! Family show. Come on! Wait, know, wait! Sorry. There are pictures online of her. No, no, we're not looking at any pictures online of this. Wait, Georgia. she's That's taking off her show. Uh, <laughs> do you not see the one I sent to the group chat? <laughs> oh, wait, wait! I haven't looked at that yet. That's, wait. Yeah, that's wait. That's... Which group chat? Oh, oh, this group chat. Sorry. Wait, no. There's a better one. I'll send it right into. Oh wait, no, yeah. <laughs> Micah, you just broke it like ten state laws with this image. Oh, really? I'm running for Congress. You can't be sending stuff like this to me. Then wait, wait, wait. What I'm wait? Oh, what I'm going to break right now with Burn that? The show, right. set it on fire. I I I was never here. <laughs> Oh, yeah, your campaign is gone. Yeah, well, it lasted three days, people. It was great. Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, Bree. Yeah, I'm. I, I think I think I'm switching to Kit Kats now. Is is what's happening? Yeah. I, I think yeah. that's. I'm not going to be eating M and M's again after this. Wait, let's see if that that comes out. Oh, there we go. There we go. That's another one. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wait. What? I don't, well, I don't even feel. Oh, it's in the Skype chat, not in the Skype chat now. Oh Skype my chat. God. Now. Okay, okay. For <gasps> listeners at home, I want to describe this. So, 
here you've got um, a very feminine Eminem. She's got long eyelashes. You know, she's got dark brown skin and eyebrows you know, very, on fleek. Very perfect eyebrows, and mm. you can see she's just peeling the candy shell off of her a little bit, and she's just bringing it down midway, you know, where her clavicle is, and just kind of, like, slowly stepping out of that shell. Uh, You can see her arms are white for some reason, and she's wearing gloves. And then Georgia, (laughs) very (laughs) pornographically, just pictured us through us the same image of that Eminem, completely nude, like, just hanging, holding the shell out in front of her, like... Oh my God! You've caught me. I'm I'm just like here on the beach doing my little M M&M and M things, and oh no, uh, Georgia, come on! You know, you know, I think this is really ingenious guerrilla marketing for Georgia because I may need therapy after this. Oh, more, more so really? Than I already do. So. Are you just saying you're just finding a way that you get to eat more M and M's? Well. Yes, I guess that is that's how you'd overcome the 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 discomfort that you have with these nude M and M's because they don't you, melt. I need I need M M&M and M desensitization therapy is is what I need. I just need to just get like a truckload of M and M's and you know make sure that I can be comfortable eating package after package of M and M's. They melt in your mouth, but not in your Remember hand. Remember your vows. You took a vow Remember for God. Your vows. <laughs> I'll share. It's okay. fine. Oh, oh, oh no! What's happening? Georgia oh, Dow. What is oh. happening? Now I got to a very uncomfortable Facebook conversation. <laughs> um, uh, okay, we uh, should talk about other things. <laughs> anything else? Really, uh, it would be would be preferable. Oh my goodness! Really? You sure? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty know. sure. Pretty sure. Okay. Okay. I heard uh, we've got some Brenanigans planned. What? What? God, let's just get all the stupid out of the way this week. Let's <laughs> just, guys. I was, I was remembering. I, I was realizing something because, like, being very serious here for a second. Um, you know, as you know, we are um, hiring staff for political campaign right now. I'm running for Congress. I'm deputy. Yes. Yes. Well, you could be. You seem uh, shocked there for a second, no, which no, no, scares no. Okay. me. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Not after, not after <laughs> Does that stop show. my running? Am I no, out of the running we're, now? we're going through and we're, we're asking for people that, you know, were successful on Bernie's campaign or Hillary's campaign or Elizabeth Warren's campaign. Like, we're going out there working to recruit people. And one of the positions we're going to be hiring for is uh, basically our press secretary. And it occurred to me that, oh, my God, if I have a press secretary, that person's job is going to be to defend all the indefensible stuff I say on a daily basis. Like, <laughs> I'm going to get my own very own Kellyanne Conway, too. So I want to give you guys an example. So, like, this is an actual quote from my Facebook that's right here. Oh, this is hilarious. Um, oh, God. I, okay, quote. I've got to be straight with you. The entire tech industry is filled with ignorant asshats, and I've made the mistake of many of them on my Facebook. So, if one of you two is my press secretary, you would have to defend. I think I think George is dead now. I think that's sorry. It. Oh God, you would have to defend oh. that statement somehow by saying like, "Oh." 
oh, Brianna was just talking about the need for better funding <laughs> in our public schools when she said that. So I've got some actual statements uh, that I've made, and I want to read them out to you. And I want all three of you to try out for uh, the Wu Campaign press secretary today, <laughs> please, on the show. So these are, these are true statements that I've made. Uh, oh, yeah, I need for you basically to defend them, okay? Okay, do, so, do we each defend each one? Yeah, we'll hear it from all three of you, your best defense, okay. and we're going to decide who wins. So, okay. Okay, okay. This is, this oh, is a God. quote. My favorite thing to do in a video game is just to sneak up behind somebody and then just stab them, stab them in the <laughs> face of Nick. You just grab them and, uh, 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 uh. So, Micah, we're going to start with you. Please, Great. Please defend Great. that if you're my press secretary. <clears throat> did the, did the uh, uh, part go with the quote? Your candidate, Brianna Wu, was simply making a metaphor, you see. This is a metaphor for how she is going to handle the competition's policies <laughs> that go against the rights of every human out there. I mean, when you think about the things that are stopping you from being able to just live out your life normally, don't you also want to stab them in the neck and the face and uh, uh, uh? Yes. And that is what my candidate, Brianna Wu, plans to do. She will take down and assassinate those (laughs) negative policies that lead to the destruction of our human rights. All right. All right. Uh, Steve, let's hear from you. Well. You see, if you can just imagine how hard Brianna fights for the rights of virtual citizens, just think about how hard she will fight to stab in the neck horrible legislation that the Republican Party is going to put forth on the on the floor of the Congress. And she will eviscerate those bills and fight for you, the citizen of Boston. All right, all right, Georgia. Let's uh, let's hear let's hear your defense. What? Where's a better place to stab someone? I'm just saying. She's, oh my God. She's, is it her fault that she's accurate? I'm How just very saying. Canadian of you. Wait, That's no. It. <laughs> all right. Um, hmm, all right. Uh, so the next statement <laughs> I would like for all of you guys to defend is uh, this is a true quote from me on this show. Um, quote: I love the Star Wars prequels. Okay, Micah. Oh, my. Okay. My candidate, Brianna Wu, was simply trying to make a bridge between how she is capable of appreciating mistakes that have been made in political parties in the past and it's it's all about accepting and appreciating that amongst those flaws and those terrible, horrible mistakes, there are good things. And as opposed to coming in and just wiping the slate clean, my candidate plans to come in to look for the things that are good about those terrible, terrible mistakes and use those to improve the policy here in our fair city. So much like the few good things that exist in the prequels, Brianna Wu plans to find the few good things that exist in the current policies and take those and make them even better. All right. All right, Steve, let's hear you defend it. Well, see, this is just an example of how 
how seriously uh, Ms. Wu takes the takes the freedom of speech and that how vigorously she will be able to defend even the most reprehensible uh you know yeah. kind of speech because she would not be able to make this kind of a statement in a country that did not respect the freedom of speech because because in any other country she would be locked up in jail for having that kind of an opinion all right georgia <laughs> let's hear let's hear from you when Miss Wu said that she loved the prequels, what she actually meant was she hated the prequels. They're horrible. Um, she never, she never uh, even really saw the prequels. She didn't know what happened with the prequels. Um, she doesn't like them. Um, there, there, there's, there, there's no prequels. All right, all right. I like that. You're going with the Republican playbook, George. I like that. <laughs> Okay, here's another true quote that I took. This is from my Facebook. Um, Aunt Coulter is what you would get if Jar Jar Binks and Barney had a demon child like in the movie The Exorcist. (laughs) Is this a real quote? (laughs) (laughs) Is this real? This is real. (laughs) Wait, I, I I have to hear it again. Please, I'm sorry. I have to hear that one. Ed Coulter is what you would get if Jar Jar Binks and Barney had a demon love child like in the movie The Exorcist. <laughs> Micah, please defend uh, that statement. My candidate, Brianna Wu, speaks from the heart and speaks the truth of the American people. This doesn't need defending because it is the most accurate statement that my candidate has ever made. <laughs> Okay, okay, Steve. Let's hear it. Look, it could have been worse. She could have compared her to Caillou. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> oh, right. Caillou. Short, short and sweet. I love it, Steve. Okay, Georgia, let's let's hear it. I, I, I think that this was a compliment. These are both lovable characters um, that are kind, um, thoughtful, trying to spread love and peace around the world. Um, so, uh, I think anyone should be complimented by such a comment. All right. All right. Final question. And then we're going to say, who gets to be our press secretary? Uh, I need to hear all of you defend the entire history of disruption in isometric. (laughs) 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 Please please start. (laughs) Here's the deal. My candidate has legitimately changed lives along with her fellow co-hosts, in the production and publishing of the podcasts of which she is a part. There have actually been people who have literally reached out and said that their lives were changed for the better, whether it be in terms of mental health or just in terms of all-around general happiness. And so when you're looking at something, it's better to look at the macro picture as opposed to the micro picture. And the macro picture, the the umbrella summary of this is that lives have been changed for the better. So let's not quibble about the details of things that might have been said on episode 24, episode 75. This was a positive influence in the lives of many people. And that is what my candidate plans to bring to the table as your representative. Amazing. Okay, Steve? 
look, if you're looking for a robot, well, actually, if you're looking for a killer robot, Bri- Brianna will maybe your candidate. But uh, <laughs> if you're looking for a robot who doesn't have opinions and doesn't have feelings and isn't a human, then Brie is not your candidate. If you want someone who is actually a human and has opinions on things, good or bad, and I will take the prequels as examples of this, then anything that you're hearing on the show really shouldn't be a surprise. And they should go to painting a better picture of the person who you're actually electing and not just what what the the opposing candidate wants you to hear. All right, Georgia, Georgia. Well, you what you have to say is that um, Miss Wu, she speaks from the heart. She says it like she feels it. She really cares. Um, She isn't always right, prequels, um, but is able to admit when she's wrong. And if you can think about how hard she fought in uh, Monster Mania, you can be damn right that she will fight that hard for you and your rights. All right. All right. Well, uh, so now it's time for the results. Uh, Georgia, you would definitely be my press secretary (laughs) if it were not blatantly illegal, according to FEC rules, because you're Canadian. Um, So if you could somehow, I don't know, get, you know, like asylum here in the United States in time for our election... We'll definitely hire you. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it since Trump will be president. Yeah. Uh, you know, Micah, you did a great job here. Uh, but here's the thing. I think, like, bringing you into politics and having you on a daily basis defend, uh, defend like, all the stuff I'm going to do, uh, I just think it would be, like, the horrors of war, right? Yes. And Steve yes. has three children. He's seen the horrors of war. He He's steady. He's true. And Steve... Congratulations. You uh, have progressed to the next round of being Brianna Wu's press secretary. Congratulations, Steve. Thank you for this this honor that will surely destroy me slowly but surely. Sure. (laughs) Happy to do it. Happy to do it. Well, you know, I think we all fought the good fight, and uh, Bree, I hope you continue to fight the good fight as you take on um, your competition and win representative of your fair city yeah and and, and as long as i don't have to defend george's opinions about uh green m&ms then i think that's okay because you know that that's indefensible i I agree i agree let's move on from green m&ms and uh (laughs) nature's viagra and talk about (laughs) oh jesus No, not Jesus. Virtual reality. Um, Virtual reality, it turns out, well, actually, it's it's been in the works for a long time, but more and more because of the improvements in virtual reality is a possible um, helper in fighting pain. So one of the things about pain that scientists over time have begun to realize is that there's uh, only so much attention that our brains can focus on pain. And if we take that attention and try to put it elsewhere, sometimes that can reduce the pain. So that's what this virtual reality system is all about. They're playing games and they're trying to take your brain and focus it on something else while they are, uh, you know, performing procedures. And in this case, they're specifically talking about uh, burn management, which if anyone's had a burn, you know how painful that is. Well, what's more painful actually is the upkeep and the constant uh, therapy involved with burn uh, burn management and healing after that because there's cleaning and there's rewrapping and that is an incredibly painful thing. So they're trying out virtual reality as a means to lessen the pain uh, instead of medicine. Georgia, I can hear you huffing. What you got for me? 
Yeah, no, I think that this is, I think that's a lovely thing. We've already known that, like, if anyone's been in pain, so I, I go through a lot of sciatica, um, which is, you know, I would I would put it like as a, between a six and an eight on the pain spectrum. It's not that painful most of the time. Sometimes it's quite painful. And I've gone through that for like months. It's not chronic. It's It, you know, usually goes away, luckily for me. But I think to myself, people that are in much more pain than that, wow, it's really, really horrible. And the nice thing is, is that then you might not have to go on pain meds or they might ha- have to be as strong, perhaps, because um, there's a lot of side effects. Our, our opiates, you know, pain that are very effective in man- managing pain are also highly addictive. Mm-hmm. So this could be a secondary manner of which you could manage pain. We already use things such as guided imagery and uh, mindfulness and focusing techniques to help manage pain for people that are that are medication resistant and so that is helpful to this. And this is further to that. And it goes through like three, well, probably about four different reasons. One is cognitive loan. Pain is actually part of the, our brain's processes are processing pain. And so it's almost like a computer that you're overclocking in other areas. And so it doesn't have enough ability to process pain at the same time, which is great. The second one is distraction. Um, so even if someone like right before you give someone a needle, you're like, over here, look, you know, uh, Matthew McConaughey you know, or green M&Ms taking off its shell. And you're like, oh, look at that. And and then, you know, you, you take the needle then. It hurts less because you were distracted to that. Um, you're also moving around, which is great. Pain for chronic pain, it's so hard to start exercising, but that'll make you feel better because it releases natural endorphins. You get dopamine when you end up defeating that skeleton. You feel so good. You get a little release of dopamine, which lowers that feeling of pain. Plus you could end up with a flow experience. You're distracted you feel calmer, you feel more relaxed. And we know that stress increases pain. So if you are more calm, more relaxed and happier, you'll also feel less pain to that. And so I think that it's really, it's, it's an area that I, I don't think that it's, you know, really viable for most people because of its expense, because you have to get hooked up. I think that it also does cause a certain, like a lot of cognitive load. I, I get a little bit feeling ill if I'm on VR for too long. And so I'm not really sure about how easy this is to use yet. Um, Re, what what do you think? We had a long discussion uh, before the show started uh, if we would want to include this. Um, you know, it, it does look credible. And I think all of us have have uh, you know had the experience of distracting ourselves when dealing with you know pain. Um, you know, and the it, it, this this story in Polygon we're going to be linking uh, it does you know interview some of the people who did the study, and it's linked to you know uh, a, a credible journal, meaning it has I'll been link, peer reviewed. I'll link one that's actually also uh, another journal as well. Uh, I guess what I would say gives me pause about this is, you know, I think VR has so many applications to really change the world that we've talked about so much on this show. Um, And I have no doubt that it's going to be um, effective for this. But, you know, this is where I have to bring in some of my lived experience to this. Uh, You know, when I was in rehab for ambient addiction uh, back in, you know, the early 2000s, um, I met a lot of people there that had chronic pain issues. Um, you know, one of the girls that was in my rehab class along with me, you know, she had been chronically abused with her stepfather who had broken her back. 
And, you know, she had gotten uh, addicted to pain medication because of that. And she was really put in a position where uh, she was dealing with chronic pain uh, and but couldn't take it because it got her more and more addicted to it. So she was in a really, really difficult uh, situation. I also, one time, I did a murder story back when I was working as a reporter. Uh, a man uh, basically had a morphine pump uh, installed in his body to help with chronic pain, and then insurance stopped paying for it. And as a result of that, he killed his mother and was walking down the street nude with her blood all covering him. Uh, interviewing that family is a very difficult experience. So, um, you know, I think that the looking for alternative ways to deal with pain is really exciting and awesome. And, you know, some of my favorite applications in VR actually aren't games. It's one where I get to visualize dance music. And sometimes mm-hmm. when I feel overwhelmed, I just put that on and live some of my favorite songs, like being visualized all around me. That said, um, I'm really, I I realize that America makes way too many opioids. There was a story that came out about OxyContin in the face Mm -hmm. of dropping sales is really quadrupling their marketing and export budget on that. And it gives me a lot of pause. But I I personally am really... um, I am hesitant to, you know, declare something that really hasn't gone through clinical trials. It's like a solution to ev- anything. And I think um, the way I would describe this Polygon article I read is, you know, findings seem to promise, uh, you know, alternative cures for pain therapy. I, I think that is more accurate. But I, I just think it's it's worthwhile for anyone to keep in mind Pain management is a phenomenally complex topic. It's true that we prescribe way too many drugs. It's true that there are people that get addicted and destroy their lives. It is true that um, people are in pain and need these medications. And it's true that they're overprescribed. All of those things are true. And it just makes moving forward, uh, you know, simple answers are not going to move us forward. Absolutely. Uh, I think the... The really cool thing about this, I guess, is that, uh, A, that we're experimenting with other means of using virtual reality, uh, not just gaming. Um, because this, the, my first experience with virtual reality, I've told this story plenty of times, but it was with um, architecture. And while I was there, I also got to play around with a few other devices that they had. And one was something similar to HoloLens. And it was actually used by um, surgeons in training who could uh, use a stylus to to act as a scalpel and physically cut uh, you know arteries and things like that as they were working on a fake body and so virtual reality and um, augmented reality and all of these kinds of things I think have some really exciting medical applications and i 'm glad that there are you know continued experiments out there and I think the interesting thing about this is that the original study was i think all the way back in two thousand three and they have since come forward and, and done more research. And so back in 2003, they saw some promising results and they continued to use it. And it's becoming more and more promising because of the, uh, you know, the uptick in virtual reality and the quality of it. So it's really cool how one sort of, um, 
oh goodness, industry can kind of help with other industries. So because it took off in gaming, it's now helping the medical industry in this way and in many other ways. And any sort of thing that uh, can make it so that, I don't know if you've ever seen videos of like little kids going in for a shot and just freaking out because they have to get a shot and they're just so upset and uh, like hiding in a corner and you try to distract them. The idea that they could just go in, they could get a shot, there's no stress for them, no stress for the doctor, no stress for the parent. Those are really cool ideas. And yeah, I think uh, it certainly gets a lot more complicated and a lot more um, slippery slopish whenever you're talking about things like pain management versus just things that are uh, immediate pains and then they're gone. And so they talk about dentistry as well as a means to, I mean, what kid is not afraid of dentists? There are so many children that are afraid of dentists. So if they could go in and play uh, a VR game while the doctor's working on their teeth, I think that's really cool. Even if that, something like that, even if it's not necessarily in place of Novocaine, I mean, I guess they probably wouldn't necessarily want you jerking your head around while they're working in your mouth. That might not work out so well for a root canal. But if, even if it's something that doesn't turn out to be like a replacement for uh, for a pain medication, but is something else that helps you not need as much of it or helps just, you know, helps distract you while you're going through and, ex- you know, something like that. And makes it just even a little bit more comforting, even if it's not necessarily a clinical tool, per se. Even that has to be something beyond what we have now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I guess I would just add to that, Steve. Um, and, and again, like, this is such a, a complex issue, but... There, there are people out there that um, you know they they live in chronic pain, and you know it's it's sometimes very hard for them to get medication. You know, like the doctor will say something very dismissive, like "Oh, just take more Tylenol," or "Yeah, it's easy to see this." Like, "Oh, just go do some VR when it gets too too tough for for you there." So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm. <sighs> Maybe I'm like being a little paranoid about that, but yeah. I just, you know, it's, I, I agree more tools in the toolbox is always good. I'm just, yeah. um, you know, really the, the number of people they're prescribed opioids that don't need them and get addicted, that is a much larger population than the people that, you know, kind of have chronic pain issues that don't respond well to medication. So, you know, I think you're, you're correct there. I just want to like keep in mind the people that are, you know, really going to suffer for the rest of their lives. It's, um, it's not a path I would want to walk. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, before we move on, I have to tell you about the people that make me smile. Is it me? Is it me? Is it the green M&M? No, the green M&M does not make me smile. The green M&M makes me smirk. But this episode of Disruption is brought to you by our friends at Smile, Not Smirk, and the PDF Pin family of apps. With this suite of awesome applications, you're going to be able to edit PDFs like a doggone pro on all of your devices. PDF Pin is available for both macOS and iOS, where it's also joined by PDF Pin Scan Plus. PDF Pin for macOS is the ultimate PDF editing tool. 
It beats preview. It is the Swiss Army knife for tackling PDFs. It's also got touch bar support if you're fancy and rocking one of those new MacBook Pros. And PDF pin for iPad and iPhone gives you control of PDF editing on your mobile devices. You can go out there into the world and edit your PDFs while you are on the train or stuck behind a car in the snow, etc. With these awesome tools at your disposal, you're going to be able to break the cycle of scanning, printing, signing, faxing, repeat uh, three times. You can embrace the paperless lifestyle. You can do away with the tediousness. And if you need to add like text, some graphics, a signature, or make corrections, it's really not a problem. You got everything you need. PDF Pin Scan Plus for iOS gives you the power of OCR, which is optical character recognition when you're away from your desk and scanner. It also allows you to scan receipts wherever you are so you can stay on top of your finances and tell the company how much money you spent here so they give you your money back. And it's Seriously, it's a huge deal that there's OCR on a mobile application because usually those require a lot of um, computer thought, a lot of processing power. If you want to find out more about PDF Pin and its family of apps, you can go to smilesoftware.com slash disruption. Thank you so much to Smile for always putting a smile on our face and supporting our show and Relay FM. Thank you, Smile. Love them. Seriously, and they love us too. That's what I love about Smile is they're always tweeting about the show and and other shows. They're so nicest tweets. They really are lovely people. Yeah, like even if you're never going to use this, you should support them just because they're really nice people, and it's nice to support people that actually care. They are always supportive of us. No, I was going to say, have either of you at WWDC ever gone to one of their parties? Because like it's awesome. It's the nicest people. Oh my god. You, you wow. should just find contracts to insert your signature into in order to use PDF pen. Yeah, seriously. We'll, we'll, we will, we will be, we will, we will draft up some legally binding contracts for you if you need a PDF to sign. And, and yeah. I'm sure that it will be completely above board and you don't have to worry about anything. Right. How about an NDA for all past shows where you agree to not share anything <laughs> you heard? Brianna yeah. News Campaign will be sending that out very soon yeah. to you. Oh, so my Lord. I love it. that. Nobody yes. tells anyone anything. Yes. And also your firstborn. Yes. Oh, no, I don't, I don't want that's that. That's in the fine print. <laughs> no, firstborn dog. Firstborn dog. Yeah. I, I've been begging Frank for a fourth dog. He won't no way. So. Uh, a fourth dog? I Okay, Georgia, my dream, and this is, you're going <laughs> to laugh, but this is not a joke. If you price castles in France, they oh, are totally way be with cheaper you. than Boston houses. No, no, no. no, no. Like, Bree? What? Bree? Yes. Bree? Yes. Yes. No, this is not. This is a smart idea. I would love to have. A, I'm not even kidding. I have looked up as well at castles and how much would they be and how do I get them? And we actually had one that we thought about in Ireland right. that was like within range. We were like, well, within range is like a little bit of a stretch. But we're like, we could we could upkeep. They're like, there's no roof. We're like, that's okay. There's tarp. We could roof. use tarp. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm so with you. I'm well, so with you. My dream is to buy a castle in France oh, yes. and move there and yes. then turn it into a homeless puppy shelter. Oh, my God. And then I want to, get a, I want to turn like a, a four-wheeler into a choo-choo train and I want to put all the homeless puppies in the back of my four-wheeler and just <sighs> drive, drive them along the, the route of it every day. Uh, that is my retirement plan right there. So yeah, Georgia, I want a fourth dog. I'm gonna wait till I have a castle. But oh, I'm, I'm okay get a with that. Dog. Yeah, that's that's just that I sound. love it. I yeah, love see, it. Yeah. See, well, I think, but, or, yeah. or what you could do, you see, is 
you know, once you've retired from the house, you they're opening up a cat cafe in Boston. And I think you could find a market for a dog cafe. Yes. That's See, true. I, Steve doesn't want you oh, to yeah. leave Boston. Yeah, and We're, that would yeah. and that would be a place that I would never ever go, but it would be a <laughs> lovely place that you could that you could run and just have dogs just hanging out and for petting and you know, presumably not biting all your skin off and stuff. I, I couldn't agree more. And by the way, <laughs> I take back everything I said on the show about not liking cats. I love all American pets equally, especially <laughs> wow. cats and dogs. Um, it's just coincidence that we only have dogs in our house. Are you trying to get the cat people, <laughs> Bree? You don't want you don't want upset cat voters. They're they're <laughs> hardcore man. I would rather tell someone I was taking away like I don't know uh, the solar panels from their roof than, than get on the back side of a cat. <laughs> oh um, no! Yeah, yeah, I, I, I have a castle question for you, Bree. Yes. So so would you though dress up as like, you know, lord and lady of the castle with like all like, you know, medieval garb and then like everyone that came in had to like choose like a certain rank and then live oh, that way? I hadn't planned on it, but I like your thinking. Okay. I like Don't you have good with that? Yeah. A dragon what, scale some some sort of garment that's dragon scale? I feel like that's perfect for a castle. The Duchess of Berkshire. <laughs> Georgia, what we should do is buy castles in the same neighborhood, and then we'll oh have God. our own Game of Thrones situation <laughs> there that's just high oh political drama, and just Frank sitting around going, oh. I will destroy Anthony. I've oh, had so enough great. of him. You could fire nerf cannons at each other from over the walls. Oh, yeah. oh my God, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, and like midnight raids. Yes. <laughs> You, you could play, like, a real-life version of Rampart, like, all day long. Be oh, great. my God. That would be yeah. so much fun. That would be so much fun. Well, oh, it's been nice knowing you here in the U.S., and I look forward to visiting your castles, especially the one that has lots of dogs in it. Oh, oh that I'm, would I'm be just, great. I'm just imagining, like, dogs with, like, little shark fin hats swimming around in the moats. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> Stop, Steve. You're going to make me buy a castle, too. Uh, Oh, oh dear! Good. Why wouldn't well, you want to buy a castle, Micah? Come on! I think it's so expensive. Yeah. I know you said it's like it's not that expensive, but I mean, uh, look, a house in Boston is like easily a quarter, uh, half a million dollars. Like you're just paying half a million dollars. It's just the way it is, and you don't even get a moat. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So there's no like, moat. Just compare it. That's yeah. true. Well, as soon as I, uh, I think I think I need to to let my money age a little bit more, and then I will buy a, a castle. Um, oh yeah, you, you need old money to buy a castle. You can't thanks. buy a castle with new money. You can't buy a castle with new money. This isn't the Gath- Great Gatsby. Uh, okay, so let's talk about um, medical concerns. Uh, in case you didn't know, uh, there actually have been several. Plots in the, uh, I don't know, the history of the universe, as well as in movies, um, to try and murder people by fooling with their embedded medical devices. So you can think of like a pacemaker. You can think of things that um, automatically deliver medicine, especially like people who have diabetes and who have to get their medicine at a regular time and it, you know, adjusts their body chemistry. So insulin pumps, pacemakers, defibrillators, et cetera, et cetera. Well, 
the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. So they put together a draft uh, back in January for some recommendations on what these device makers should be doing to keep those devices safe. Well, they finally released a 30-page document, which again are recommendations for what uh, these device makers should do. Here's the problem, though. These are recommendations. These are not requirements. There is no legally binding uh, agreement here that these device makers will do that. And so there are still quite a few defibrillators, pacemakers, insulin pumps, etc., that are out there that do not have the necessary security in place to keep people safe. So it's it's a problem. <laughs> so I have really strong uh, feelings on this because, you know, my husband uh, works in biotech and I've seen the immense price that we pay on drug safety, right? So uh, let's say tomorrow I come up with a new cure for cancer. Uh, you know, I have to take this through all kinds of trials and especially human trials, which are phenomenally expensive. Uh, you know, sometimes people actually die during human trials. Like, that's the course of, like, inventing a new drug. So, you know, we take that very, very seriously, and we make that as safe as we can in the United States. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm running on is all these kinds of questions about our federal policy uh, when it comes to information security, because... You know, Micah, you're, you're correct that we can, you know, test a, a drug 500 different ways to make sure that it's as safe as possible. But yet this very basic security here, it's, it's not mandated in the same way. And, you know, as you said, guidelines are not requirements. Um, I'm going to look more into this with legal experts. But, you know, my, my impulse is that there have got to be legal uh, civil consequences put in place when, you know, companies uh, basically skimp on the InfoSec stuff. They don't take appropriate precautions. They don't conduct code review. They cheap out and people get harmed by this. And, you know, it's not a terrible situation. Well, it's bad when, say, Target gets hacked, you know, and all of our credit card information gets out there. You know, there you're talking about money and, you know, identity theft, but nobody dies. Um, here, people will die or have the potential to die. Um, so I think it's just part of, you know, our federal policy around technology that's honestly stuck in the dark ages. Uh, it doesn't help that so much of our Congress is just bought and paid for by uh, you know, special interests that basically write the legislation that ends up passing. But I think this is a, a perfect example of where our federal oversight is failing. A couple uh, – one of the vendors that we use um, also has a lot of customers for, – for business intelligence software – um, has a lot of customers who are healthcare, like hospitals and stuff like that. And I, I've I've never worked on a healthcare BI system, but I've been in enough of those conferences to listen to some of the questions that come out. And typically, once somebody from healthcare starts asking questions, it's time to go get another cup of coffee. Because, but, but it's because like a lot of the things that they're worried about are really, really detailed and really, really arcane. And they're ultimately the kinds of things that no business would do if they weren't mandated to do it. And and I think that's kind of the point, because you can call it cheaping out, and, and it is. But at the same time, I could absolutely see 
somebody who doesn't understand the and, and you know if you're talking about a medical device manufacturer like infosec is probably not their core competency right so i could see them not understanding the gravity of the situation necessarily and and making that like a lower priority or something that they'll get to and that is that's really why you need this to be mandated not only so that these things absolutely happen because they need to but also so that they happen consistently it's not even just enough just for there to be guidelines and for companies to follow the guidelines but implement them in whatever way they want to it's part of hipaa is that it's got very strict uh, restrictions on who is allowed to see what and who what what kind of auditing needs to happen when somebody accesses a uh, a patient medical record for example and it, it's it's very detailed and it's very clear cut as to what you need to do and how you need to implement it and if there are just guidelines it, it's just kind of leaving it up to the individual implementation and then there's also there also need to be guidelines for the hospitals that are the consumers of these devices for how often they're going to be patching when there are vulnerabilities, because that's the other the other end of it is not just that there are certain things built in at time of manufacture, but also that the the companies are keeping up with security flaws as they're discovered because you're, you're never going to catch everything, um, but that they're published to their clients and that their clients are uh, are patching these things diligently because sometimes i you know just being in it sometimes with the amount of testing if it's working you may not want to want to um try to break it because then you have to go through another round of testing and everything like that to make sure that the patches that the patch works with your environment and everything else there needs to be legislation on that end too to mandate that not only are the patches getting issued but the patches are getting applied in in a timely fashion, because if the th- if the security vulnerabilities are getting patched, but nobody's imp- installing the patches, that's just as good as them not getting patched in the first place. Mm-hmm. You got you both of you so beautifully <laughs> stated the issues that are at hand with that. I think it's really horrific that usually someone has to die before people take notice and stand in uproar. And the the issue is that legislators rarely actually understand the technology that they're dealing with and making rules about. Um, so. You know, it's it's one of these things that technology is wonderful, but can be really scary at the same time to it. Well, I think, too, one of the the, the problems here is that, uh, I mean, Brie, you, you've touched on this already, is these things are not taken seriously. Like, technology seems to be, for uh, policymakers at least, this this brand new thing that we're just now like starting to pay attention to and take very seriously and that's a huge problem because cyber attacks happen day in and day out and in fact in the article that we'll post in the show notes one of the things that one of the uh, experts mentioned is that hospital networks are experiencing attempts of intrusion and attack all the time, all the time. And so even if these aren't uh, matters of getting at these individual devices, those individual devices are often sending information to the hospital's networks where all that data is stored. And oftentimes, because it's meant to be a private thing, it's stored with identity markers. And so when these networks are attacked, and if people aren't taking it as seriously as they should, then you've also got identity theft to worry about. And you've also just got the the fact of, of privacy being a problem, that all of your information, your health information that's supposed to be stored securely, 
ends up getting out there and that information is is out in the public. I mean, it's 2016 and I, it's almost 2017. And I know the, the phrase is 2016 has been said a billion times, but seriously, how are we just now getting around to paying attention to things like cybersecurity when it has been an issue for a very, very, very long time and that we're only working with recommendations as opposed to actual rules and regulations? Is a little frustrating. <laughs> so, you know, the subcommittee I hope to serve on, uh, you know, there's the, 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 well, there's the committee and then there's the subcommittee. And the committee itself is, you know, technology, space, and science. And, you know, I'm not qualified to, you know, serve on a hardcore science panel. But, like, with technology, then there's the, uh, the subcommittee on that. Uh, Catherine Clark here in Massachusetts sits on it. But it's only, uh, if I recall correctly, it's only 12 people. 12 people. 12 Congress people that sit down and set that policy. And, you know, as we're looking to run, uh, some of their voting records, uh, especially on the Republican side, are just atrocious. And, you know, I think the truth is a lot of those Congress people have been bought and paid for by special interests. And, you know, part of it is like with... um, Sometimes with lobbyists, like, you know, I used to work in politics in D.C., so I've seen this firsthand. Sometimes it is a good idea to go to a trade group and uh, ask for information about uh, various industries. Like, for instance, if uh, let's say tomorrow if I were voting on sheet metal, uh, this is not an industry I know a lot about. Like, how does that work with Chinese exports or importing raw materials or refining it? Uh, So it's correct to go to those people. The problem is the system as it's set up is, you know, Verizon or AT&T or, you know, these technology people basically buy these Congress people off. Uh, You know, they donate a lot of money to their campaign. And very frequently, the lobbyists are just turning around and handing them the legislation to sign. So, you know, Mike, I'm a deeply pragmatic woman. The only way I can think to get forward on this, the only way. The only thing that will do any good is going to be getting people in that subcommittee to set policy that are thinking a little bit more about the people that elect them, right? And this, um, you know, this isn't a, a Democrat versus Republican issue. Like Republicans want privacy too. You know, Republicans want their, you know, their heart valves that, you know, have internet connectivity or, you know, uh, technology baked in it not to kill them. So the only way forward I can see is to get better people on that subcommittee. Because, Steve, you're dead on when you say they're never going to change it unless it's somehow mandated. Uh, and there's only one way that that's going to happen. So, you know, that's that's how I feel about it. As uh, Brianna's you know, press secretary, I'm just uh, saying uh, that means she's pro sheet metal um, and anti-tech, <laughs> which kills you. Yes, yes, uh. yes. You know, and and the thing is that you want to get this in place. It's good for everyone to get this stuff in place before there's an issue that causes it to be like something that ends up in scare quotes that ends up shutting a lot of this stuff down. Because as much as I am normally really against, you know, IoT devices in general, I, I recognize the value that there is here. There are efforts to use the data that's being collected from like heart from heart monitors for you know patients who are in the ICU to be able to look at various uh, various vital signs and be able to predict a heart attack before it happens. 
there these systems can send like a message out to a response team that can go in and you know because every second is crucial with a heart attack and they can get in and start administering care before well before even the patient may be in discomfort so those kinds of things are really are going to save a lot of lives but it you know the first time that something like this gets attacked and it ends up in the news that you know somebody died because they were hooked up to a heart monitor that that malfunctioned because it was hacked the, all that stuff's going to go out the window you know what i mean or it's going to get delayed significantly i mean obviously self driving cars are still a thing despite uh despite uber running into bike lanes in san francisco but it still is going to slow down some of that innovation and ultimately you don't want that to happen you want these things to to come to market and be able to save as many lives as possible. Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> uh, we have officially implemented new policy that they will have to follow, and we have saved the entire universe. Um, again. I believe it's now. Yes, once again, the day is saved. Thanks to the power. Wait, no. Uh, disruption. <laughs> um, I think it's time to open the floor to questions from oh. our listeners. Okay, so we got a question. Uh, well, we don't. We don't have we don't I don't know if we can use use their name or not, but um, they say my my boyfriend got a PS4 for Christmas. He played before, but not much since I met him. And now he's playing Grand Theft Auto five. I want to be supportive of it. I don't want to discourage him from from something he clearly enjoys, but I need to keep myself OK and safe. And I don't want to condone something I can't even support. Uh, he has many other priorities and has done nothing but complain about his lack of time and being spread too thin over the last few months. And now he's adding regular gaming uh, sign conflicted. So, I mean, Georgia, you, I mean, I'd love to get your input on this, but uh, you know, mine, uh, having been married for a decade, is you know, part of any relationship is accepting things the other person does that you don't particularly like that's just marriage uh it, it's the way relationships go so um you know to me my first impulse is you know i don't play grand theft auto 5 because it is a, a shockingly sexist game and I've, I've given it a shot but you know i don't think you can tell someone what to enjoy or what to do or what their hobbies can be um, I think what I might do is, um, you know, Frank were playing Grand Theft Auto. I would probably sit down with them and I would have a conversation about the parts of the game that really bothered me. There's nothing wrong with um, consuming media that has problematic elements. I think you can, you just need to talk about it and be aware of it. But, you know, I just, um, my, my flashing light goes off when it's like, oh, my partner has this hobby that I don't like. I don't see anything there that's innately self-destructive. Um, I mean, Georgia, am I on the, the right track here with, you know, healthy relationship boundaries and things? Yeah. Yeah. I think that you're absolutely right. Um, the first thing is having a conversation. Um, you can't change people. You can't force them um, to do what they do not already want to do. I think that you're absolutely right. Also setting, you know, proper boundaries and consequences to those boundaries is also fair to that. Um, in that, you know, yeah, you don't, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to be there to watch them. Doesn't mean that you have to deal with it. And, you know, if, if we're dealing with something that goes to the level, which this does not seem to be that case, but as an addiction where they're not doing anything else and their life is falling to ruin, you have the choice, you know, to how much you want to take before you choose to walk away. And so I think that it just starts by having the conversation to that. Often when you first get something, like you often play too much of it. And that usually dies down as with time. 
And so I think that I played probably six hours, not straight, but because I couldn't, but I tried mm-hmm. to, of, of VR when we first got it. Um, I don't play that much now, but it, it was something that was new and it was fun because it was new. And whatever reasons that you don't feel comfortable with that, if he's like, you know, not dealing with other things he has to, that's his own natural consequence that he's going to have to deal with the repercussions to that. Yeah. And, and it, I guess it's going to be a matter of, like if it's to the point where it's like he's literally like he's not showering and he's you know like not he's just sitting there like 18 hours a day and not doing anything else then obviously that's that's a concern i i mean i think that it's for example like maureen loves game of thrones and i can't i can't do it like i and we've talked about this on the show before like the just the gore in the show just for whatever reason i don't know why i have i don't have a problem with like blood and gore in video games but i do in television and movies and it just like makes me physically nauseous but we have an agreement that you know i don't want to get in the way of her watching that and so i'll just you know i'll go somewhere else for an hour and then come back but if she was watching like you know game game of thrones marathons for like six straight weeks that might be a different issue i think you you might just also want to just have a conversation with him and and maybe see if you can just set some times that maybe find something you can play together you know when when you're around and maybe he can save that particular game for you know when you're when you're out of town or whatever and try to try to work out some boundaries there but you know at the end of the day you you both have to have your own hobbies too, to some extent. You yeah. know what I mean? So, can, can I add one more thing there? Like, if that game really bothers you, the the content of it, you know, there are other open world games that are very similar to Grand Theft Auto that I don't find as problematic. I think uh, Saints Row. Um, you know, it's it's a funny game because it has a lot of for lack of a better word, locker room humor in it, but it's very equal in the way that it it does it. And um, overall, by video game (laughs) industry standards, I did not feel as angry about the depictions of women in St. Rose. I did uh, Grand Theft Auto. I'd also say Sleeping Dogs is excellent. Um, But I kind of, and I may just be reading a little bit into it here, and I apologize if I'm reading it wrong, but when you're saying things like, oh, they're spread too thin lately, um, you know, this isn't really good for them, it kind of makes me feel that you may be wanting to make someone's choices for them. And it's just like every marriage has this dynamic a little bit. And I can tell you it rarely works out well (laughs) if you're on either end of that. So... Yeah, part of uh, part of a relationship, as I've learned, is really loving and accepting the other person with their flaws. Uh, Frank is a deeply flawed person. I am a deeply flawed person, and you kind of have to love the person for where they are and for who they are. And then, if you're lucky, you grow together. Yeah, well said. Wow, that was really well said. I don't have anything to add as like the the uh, least experienced relationship person in the group. I think everything that you all said uh, was not only good advice for our listener, but also good advice for me. The one thing I will say is that um, some of this stuff that you're actually talking about is something that I have experienced in my own relationship in terms of... Um, the, the term that I use is woke, being socially woke. And, um, you know, when I first met my partner, I would say that um, he was he was not as woke as I would have expected, I guess, is the, is the word. Um, and over time, you know, we've just had conversations about it. And it's been a, a thing where 
uh, once you kind of, I really do think it's important to have those conversations because a lot of times the environment that people are in and maybe where they grew up and who they're, you know, who they were around can influence their uh, knowledge or lack thereof that, you know, their ignorance to certain topics and why those things are, you know, troublesome to you as a human being. And uh, when those realizations happen, I think sometimes it does lead to someone not changing for your sake, but changing because it is something that they truly do believe. And uh, so, yeah, that's been an adventure (laughs) and uh, something that I've learned to both make compromise on and also just have conversations about in my own relationship. Yeah, I've had I've had, had the same conversations with Frank. Um, yeah, he was never sexist, but he's certainly grown, you know, over the course of us being married about, you know, realizing problematic elements, you know. Um, when I first met Frank back when we were just dating, he made some real transphobic comments at one point. And, you know, like we had to sit down and, and talk about that. So, you know, it's the same way. Like I've talked on many occasions about not understanding how, um, you know, Chinese men are demasculated by our society. So I think um, I know exactly what that's like, Micah, and uh, <laughs> I've uh, experienced both sides of that. So we have one other one other set of questions from Conrad, um, who wrote us a very long message, and I'll, I'll not read all of it, but he has a couple of questions in, in part of it that I'll, uh, I'll read. So he says, uh, something I've noticed about myself Um, is my inability to express my thoughts to others. For instance, uh, my friend and I watch quite a lot of shows and tend to share our opinions on them. I have no problem saying what my general feelings on the show are, but when it comes to arguing my opinion, I'm mostly unable to do so. I can think about it for a long time and get nothing or some single cases that don't really encompass my feelings about it. Um, it's a bit like having a compiled program with no source code. Here goes the nerdy analogy. You know the end result, but you don't know exactly how it works to produce that result. And trying to understand it just shows you a bunch of assembly or, or machine code. So do you, do you know if there's a name for what I'm experiencing? And most import, more importantly, do you have any idea of what I might do to make it a little bit less severe? Sounds like a Dow question. That sounds, like, that's a, that sounds like a question <laughs> sounds for like our, a Micah question. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess speaking extemporaneously, um, that that certainly makes a little bit of sense. Um, you know, growing up and being in um, in theater and debate and a lot of like improv type stuff and trying to build an argument based off of what the other person says um, is, yeah, that's something that that I have dealt with and. Honestly, it is a practiced skill, and I think it's also important to note that. There's a difference between competitive debate and then also just listening to, you know, your friends or your colleagues. Because if you're spending the whole time crafting what your response is going to be, it likely means you're not listening. Because as much as we like to say, and I'm sure this is probably ripped directly from Georgia Dow, but as much as we like to say that we are multitaskers as human beings, we really aren't very good multitaskers. And if we're thinking the whole time, oh, how am I going to respond to this? Then that becomes a problem in and of itself. I think it also is a matter of like, finding the balance whenever you're communicating with someone. And if it is about, you know, talking about a show or something like that, if it matters to you, then I do think that you start to develop those thoughts and they can take a little bit longer and that's fine. But I, I guess the the main point that I'm wanting to make at, as far as that goes is like, 
pick your battles. If this is something that you do struggle with and this is something that you know, you're trying to get better at, maybe it isn't entirely important that in a conversation you have like the winning argument about why the show is this or that. Or give it some time and come back and say, you know, I was thinking about that conversation we had the other day and I really think that blah, 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 blah. And if these are your friends, then that's fine. And you might even explain to them that this is something that you struggle with and it's something that you deal with and you're working on it, that, you know, you're practicing to get better. But yeah, it really is a learned skill. And at the same time, I think it's important that you are listening and uh, not spending so much of your cognitive uh, load on trying to craft a response to their argument. Well said, well said. Yeah, uh, I think that you would ask yourself um, to find out what you're dealing with is is you want to ask yourself why you're you're having a trouble with conversation. Is it because you're trying to think of the most perfect response? Is it because you want to win? Is it because you want to sway information? Are you trying to impress people? Are you worried about what you're saying or not want to look stupid or foolish or awkward? And then you work backwards. In the end, most people want from a conversation to be accepted, to be listened to, and to add something meaningful to that conversation. I think that what Micah said is beautiful, that you have to make sure that then you're listening. And often we're in our own heads instead of paying attention to the other person when we have a conversation. And conversation is not about winning, unless you're on a debate team. Um, Or, you know, as uh, Bree's going to be going into debates, well, then that might be a different story. But besides that, as a press secretary, I have to say that. Um, But besides that, What you want to make sure that you're doing is you're thinking about the other person and just trying to listen and make them feel good and experience that. And it doesn't have to be the right response. You can take time to formulate what you want to say. A lot of people feel this pressure that they can't take a pause because they're worried that someone else might um, jump in or say something in between then and they had this great idea of what they can say, but you can wait it out and that's all right as well. And so it seems that it might be a little bit of social anxiety that you're dealing with, but there could be other things as well. And if you can figure out what's actually happening inside of your head, what you're worried about, or what's stopping you from being able to have that conversation, then that'll really help you out on figuring out what the reason for that is. And yes, then it's just go at it and keep at it. And don't give up. There are it is a thing that some people just take, you know, longer to get their thoughts organized than others. Like I've that was I haven't done in a long time, but that's that when I was blogging more regularly, a lot of times that was because I was using that as a way to organize my thoughts when there was something that I was struggling with explaining to someone. And like I remember there was a, a long time ago that we had a disagreement about the the Wolfen the, the Wolfenstein remake and I spent a long time trying to figure out why that game was so important to me when it was not, you know, mechanically one of the best games that I've played. And it it ended up becoming like a 1500 word blog post of me just kind of teasing that out over a period of like a day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, sometimes that helps. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily make your opinions less valid if it takes you a little bit longer to get to them. And I think that's kind of an important thing, too, because sometimes it's just confidence and and you know being a conviction of your opinions and just because it just because it takes you a little bit longer to get from point a to point b doesn't mean that your opinion is any less valid than somebody who's able to come up with it off the spot exactly i, I like i like when people don't have a strong conviction also sometimes in their opinions because perhaps they're thoughtful or the the as bria said earlier that there's a lot of very complex 
issues to that rarely are things very black and white. And so to be able to see the different layers of gray or that I'm not really sure how I feel about this because I'm really not sure how I feel about this is appreciated by many people because we're often lambasted by people that become more and more polarized over time. And they're not looking at all the different nuances to that. And so that also could be a nice thing and refreshing to other people. Yeah, I think that's well said. Uh, I, I guess I would I would add this. I think most people would be pretty shocked if uh, you know they knew me when I was younger because I was terrified, terrified of speaking to anyone. Probably up until I was twenty years old, it would it would give me hives, extreme social anxiety. And when I think about what made me break out of that. You know, something I would uh, I would really remind myself a lot is that most people aren't thinking about you when you're talking to them. They're thinking about mm-hmm. them. You know, our experiences are always about ourselves in our own mind. But sometimes when those demon girl thoughts, you know, like, oh, my God, does this person not like the, the top I'm wearing? Oh, is my hair a mess? You know, oh, did I say that stupidly? I try to like sit there and take a moment and go, look, chances are they're not hyperanalyzing this. Don't stress it. Uh, So I don't know. Maybe that's helpful to you. Maybe it's not. And and there's one more quick question that I think is good for us to end the show on. Okay. Okay. So this is again from Conrad, who says, as I've mentioned before, I've been catching up on isometric and disruption for the past eight months or so. And one of the subjects touched upon were the mischiefs of Georgia Chicken Parts Dow, meticulously <laughs> gathered and discriminating evidence against Georgia Dow by the fabled Wu family, out to fight whatever horrendous things Georgia and her Falcons may be up to. However, said <laughs> Falcons must have succeeded in covering for her boss, as Fandas.biz, where I've been told one may learn the truth, is now defunct. Is there any, <laughs> is there any way for us to get educated on crimes of declaration of war Dow, or must we forever remain ignorant? Oh. Um, uh, wow. <laughs> I'm not going to... Look, I went up against Gamergate. Uh, I'm running for Congress. I've been written about in Breitbart <laughs> and Heat Street this week. Um, I'm not scared of much. But look, sometimes <laughs> can't, you, can't, you can't fight Big Dow. <laughs> Dow chemical. Yeah, um, I big Dow. Uh, side note. That said, if you shoot me an email, I'll see if I can give you the illicit materials from Fantasy.biz. But you don't, don't tell Georgia. She can't know. Okay? Also, if any press call you and ask you what happened to isometric and disruption, you know nothing. Yeah. Nothing we'll, happened. We'll, we'll send you the NDA that you can sign with PDF pen along yeah, with the, uh, right, with the incriminating be. evidence. I should also note that chickenparts.org still exists and is still up really? and running. <laughs> yeah. Chickenparts.org. Uh, so maybe Brie can, uh, don't tell Georgia, but maybe Brie can pass over the, the incriminating evidence to me and I can put it on chickenparts.org. Um, That's really brave of you, Mike. Uh, thank you. Some of us. As, yeah. as I mentioned on Rocket, I think um, when when Brie Wu has to step into political place, someone else has to rise up and take you know pre political Brie Wu's spot. So who knows? Maybe this is the first step. Uh, if you would like to get in touch and uh, ask some questions for us, including the debauchery of uh, Big Dow, here's how you can do that. You can call us at five zero eight four one eight three five three two to leave a voicemail, or you can tweet us at underscore disruption fm with the hashtag. 
hashtag disrupt me, or if you'd like to keep things private, send us a direct message. As always, please let us know if we can use your name on the show. Otherwise, we default to anonymous. Go ahead and review the show on iTunes. You can uh, rate one star or five stars. There is no in between. You can find the show notes for this show and every show at relay.fm slash disruption. If you're looking for me online, I am at Micah Sargent at pretty much every single place. Steve, where can people find you? Well, you can find me uh, wandering around breeding my Pokemans, and you can also find me on on Twitter at WickedGood. I have so much pain in my heart for Pokemans, but Bree, <laughs> if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Uh, so you can see me on Twitter at Space Cat Cow, or what I would love for you to do is go to our campaign website, which is Brianna Wu 2018, uh, and you can uh, sign up right now and get on a mailing list for once uh, you know, we have everything up and rocking. I'm not going to be able to do this alone, and I would deeply appreciate your support. So that is BriannaWu2018.com. Awesome. Awesome. And if you are looking for Georgia Dow, the Dow, Big Dow, Chicken Big Parts Dow, Dow. Big Dow. Where, where can <laughs> just look in the candy aisle. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to pretend I get that. I'm confused. For, you know, because of all the green M&M talk. Oh, it's a callback right. to the green M&Ms, Micah. You won't let that go, will you? Steve? No, I, no, no, I will not. <laughs> Georgia, where can people find you? Quick. Oh, dealing with anxiety, difficulty issues, check out anxiety-videos.com. Check me out on Twitter. It's at Georgia underscore Dow. All right. All that's left is for Steve to say that thing he says every week. So, Steve, take it away. Go. Never eat M&Ms again and go listen <laughs> to something else. Bye. Pokemons now, Steve. You're playing the Pokemons. I got a I got a new 3ds for Hanukkah. How how deep are you into it? I am coming up on Olivia's trial, the okay, second island yeah. trial. So. Yeah, I know that. I know that one. Okay, yeah. so look, here's here's how it goes. Yeah. When you when you want to get want to get some really good Ultra Beasts, you want to get the good stuff, like the perfect <laughs> IV of, of Ultra Beasts. Give me a call. Give me a call. I've got. I've got. Uh, I've got all of it. I've got some really fierce Guzzlord for you, and That's... I'll hook you up. And you'll just pull. <laughs> that sound. That sounds illicit. <laughs> I'd say it, Steve. Look, I probably need to look. collect more crystals before I can handle the the fierce Guzzlord. I look, imagine look, Guzzlord is level level sixty five. We'll give you the Necromancia. That's level seventy five. But I got to tell you, okay. So look. Look, your your cartridge right there has the normal vanilla target version of Guzzlord on it. My Guzzlord has perfect IVs, has great nature, it'll work as a fast attack sweeper, and you can kill anything with it. I didn't tell you that, but it will kill for you on sight. So just call me up and you know, we'll, we'll work something out. We'll, we'll work something out. Will it love me like my Munchlax loves me? You will be able to rub it on its tummy, which has teeth, 
sticking out of it, and it's kind of horrifying, and that's where it likes to be petted. So, yeah, that's... just shove some poker beans up in there, and you're going to be Whoa. fine. Whoa, I don't that's... like this conversation. I, I'm just talking about how Steve can seduce his guzzlord into loving oh, him. Oh, my God. You got to make the uh, Gus Lord like have passion for you. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah. It happens. No judgment here. This is, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, uh, I'm not going to uh, judge what Steve does with this ultra beast. So, uh, yeah. No, my, that's between me and my ultra beasts. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a uh, private right. matter. 